Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, verses 1-4. through 4. Hello, and welcome to Yours in Christ, where we give away John's seminary degree away for free. I'm Michael, and, up every time. and I'm here with John and Dan. How are you guys doing tonight? Yo. Hello. This is, Dan, that's about as enthused as you're going to be right now. I'm Dan, very tired. I apologize, everybody. Yeah, Dan's trying to fall asleep on us during this podcast. <laughs> I work way too much. They yelled at me earlier. Mm-hmm. We're working on it. I have good friends to hold me accountable. Yeah, so we're working on you working too much. Yes. He did refuse coffee before the podcast. I offered. I, I mm. have to sleep at some point, which <laughs> yeah. is already hard enough for me. Also, we're trying to record two episodes with every like time we meet, and so yes. this is our second one. So Dan is understandably tired. Yes, I am wired though, because whenever I start talking about this stuff, I get just—it's like my caffeine. This is my wired voice. You can't tell. <laughs> yeah, there's there's yeah. two things that I get wired for, and, and one of them is biblical theology. Hey. The other is Lord of the Rings. So, oh, you uh, know, ooh, both good options. Nice. So would you be disappointed if I fell asleep the only time I tried to watch Lord of the Rings? Yeah. I, yeah that might you be should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, it was at a sleepover when I was like 10, and everybody else watched like whatever let's, ones were out. Let's and stop I recording right now. Let's watch it in your current state. <laughs> I would literally fall asleep. Only yes, the extended versions, though. Ooh, yes. They're, they're only, they're I the have no ones. idea if there were extended versions ne- when ne- I watched Netflix it. Netflix only has the theatrical versions. It's trash. <laughs> all right. Tell us something you really feel. <laughs> hey. Well, anyway, yeah. so um, today we're going to be diving into a topic that we began introducing with the last episode, yep. and that topic is hermeneutics. Hermen. New ticks. Good friend of mine. <laughs> so, John, why don't you uh, give us a little recap on yeah. that topic? Yeah, sure. So, so yeah, the last last episode we we introduced um, hermeneutics, which is basically um, the way I I I'd like to s- distinguish it from exegesis. Exegesis is tools and principles that help you interpret the text that's directly in front of you. Hermeneutics, how you piece tools and principles that help you piece the whole Bible together as a as a story. Um, and so what we did last episode is we gave you some basic just framework ideas to understand that, and then we um, provided a very quick overview, very brief overview and critique of uh, four different hermeneutical approaches, uh, the last one being the historical gram- grammatical approach, which um, you know legitimate Christians, people who love God's Word, love God, use all the time. Uh, it is a legitimate hermeneutic, but we wondered, is there a hermeneutic that scripture itself has that's within, you know, organic and, and natural to scripture itself. And I, and I think there is one and that's what we call the redemptive historical hermeneutic. Uh, and so then I, we, we went dive, um, we dove deep into Luke 24 mm-hmm. where we showed how, you know, that's, that is scripture's hermeneutic. That is Jesus's own self. I think a self understanding of scripture, the scripture that he authored. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's what we did last episode. Uh, and then what are we going to do today? 
Yeah. So today we're um, we're going to be applying that a little bit is, mm-hmm. is what we're going to be heading for is uh, we're just going to be building on that framework a little bit more. Uh, the goal here is really to be, you know, starting to give some tools to you, our listeners, yeah. so that you can really apply this to your own um, to your own Bible reading. Right. Um, as we flesh this out a little bit more. So, yeah, so we're going to be talking about there's there's patterns to God's revelation in Scripture that you can notice. We're going to take note of what these patterns are um, as a helpful way for you, the listener, so that when you read the Scripture yourself, you can, you know, use these patterns yourself and, and notice them yourself and, and help you understand the whole story. And so we're going to, we're going to notice, we're going to um, uh, point out what these patterns are and sort of provide a framework for doing biblical theology or understanding the scripture as a whole in addition to what we've already covered. So kind of what we're doing, um, the way I like to think about it is when you build a building, like a house or whatever, you form the foundation, which we did the last episode, Mm -hmm. and then you build sort of the skeleton framework thing of the house upon which the rest of the house is built on. And so um, what we're going to be doing today is talking about that sort of skeleton and that framework that the rest of the house is built on. And then from this episode onward, we're going to be basically building the house. That's a that's a great metaphor, John. And, yeah, I know. I you, made that up on the spot. <laughs> right on the spot. On it was the spot. awesome. So, you know, and just to paraphrase that even a little bit more, you know, we talk about our head and our heart goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and our head goal for today is that we want you to be able to understand some basic patterns in the story of the Bible, just like John was saying. Yep. And what we'd like that to translate into mm-hmm. in our hearts is for us to be overwhelmed by the fullness and the richness of the salvation Christ has accomplished. Yep. Because so what we're going to do, like I said, is we're going we're gonna to point out these patterns point out uh, various themes in scripture, <clears throat> and then what I'm going to do is then use that stuff to give you guys a very broad, quick summary of the entire story of scripture that using these themes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's an outline for our episode. That's what you can anticipate coming up, so let's dive right into it. Sounds good. All right, so First section, patterns in biblical revelation, these patterns, right? So the first one we've actually talked about quite a bit already, uh, the word-act-word thing. Um, We went over this, uh, I think, two episodes ago, Um, and so it's just to reiterate that this is a a pattern that you can find uh, throughout Scripture, and I think we talked about how you see this in Exodus. God provides a prophetic word that he's going to redeem Israel from slavery, then he does it, then he provides an interpretive word for that event. And actually, you see this in Deuteronomy. So if you read the book of Deuteronomy, the the first, you know, I don't even remember, like eight or nine, cha- well, probably not eight or nine, maybe four, four or five chapters are a summary of basically the Exodus event. Mm-hmm. And so this is the post-redemptive act word that we're talking about. And then, and then but then the rest of Deuteronomy also provides a prophetic word for what's going to happen once Israel enters the promised land. You know, you know Moses talks about, he, he reiterates the commands of God, but then he also talks about, when you guys complain for a king, this is what you should do. And there's a lot of themes that are then picked up in the book of Judges and Joshua, and then are then carried on into uh, the book of Samuel. So, so Deuteronomy is a wonderful book because it, it, it's not only the tail end of the word act pa- word act word pattern, but it's also the beginning of another word act word pattern. So yeah, that's one pattern that you that you see, and um, like we said before, you see this in Scripture as a whole, right? The entire Old Testament is God's prophetic word 
anticipating and pointing forward to the redemption of Christ, then the redemption that Christ accomplishes is that act part, and then the rest of the New Testament of the apostles and is, is an interpretation of that. And so again, why is that important? Because we don't have the right to interpret God's redemptive acts any which way we want to. Mm-hmm. We must always go back to Scripture. For a lot of us, that should be pretty basic, mm-hmm. but we really need to be consistent with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a key point in modern society, especially American mm-hmm. society, where we're yeah. so individualistic and everything comes down to to me yeah. controlling and, everything. Yeah, and I, I recently read an article about this, this guy who's starting this church uh, in California somewhere, and and, you know... It, it basically looks like a rock concert, and then the, the sermon is half of... It's basically uh, a mix of stand-up comedy and a therapy session. Mm. And he was asked about Jesus' death on the cross and stuff, and, and he was saying how, like, he Jesus' death on the cross, it means that um, he's not only showing us God's love, but he's also... Uh, he's not um, paying for our condemnation that we deserve, but he's actually condemning this unjust system uh, uh, through his death or whatever. I forget exactly the exact quote, but that's basically what he said. And it's like, so first of all, you're interpreting Jesus's death in a way that he does not say that Jesus himself doesn't interpret as Mm -hmm. such. Um, B, yes, we can agree that, that there is a sense in which, um, he, he is willingly subjecting himself to a corrupt moral system and political system, but it's far more than that. Mm -hmm. And then, See, um, why does that? If if we stick to that interpretation, why did he have to die to do that? He didn't. So anyway, as an example of what we what we would call autonomous inter- interpretation. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so um, the next pattern we'll talk about uh, to talk about quickly is pattern of salvation judgment, salvation slash judgment. This is actually really interesting. Um, so. In all of God's, so remember, word, act, word, right? So go to the act, God's redemptive act. Mm-hmm. What This is a pattern you'll see in God, all of God's redemptive act, the, the pattern of salvation judgment, or that sort, of that, that sort of dynamic. What you'll find in Scripture is that for every one of God's redemptive acts, they are redemptive and salvific for his people, and yet at the same time, they are an act of judgment against uh, not his people. Mm-hmm. This goes back, ultimately, to Genesis 3.15. Uh, if you read Genesis 3.15, I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring. Uh, he, meaning the seed of the woman, will strike your head, but you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15, right? Mm. You see salvation and judgment in that, those, that verse. Because you see the salvation that the seed of the woman accomplishes, but the serpent, see the serpent, uh, the, the judgment is falling on the seed of the serpent through the salvation that the seed of the woman accomplishes, so that the salvation, uh, when God accomplishes a, a salvi- salvific act, there's there's a sort of a a, a concomitant and sort of um, connection uh, that is also it's also a judgment act. It's, it is both in the same in the same act. It's simultaneous. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and so, if we remember, and what we'll unpack, in, and actually in the next episode, Dennis, the story of Scripture. One way to understand the story of Scripture is actually the story of that conflict between those two seeds, mm-hmm. the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so because of that, uh, that is why you see that salvation judgment pattern. So like, because this, this actually foretells the necessary suffering of the seed of the woman. And so all of God's redemptive acts, they express the enmity between the two offspring. So 
Um, let me give you an example here. Uh, we see this in, in Genesis with Noah, right? God pr- delivers the flood, but he also provides salvation by grace through uh, Noah and his family. But that, that flood uh, moment is, is salvific because it's meant to sort of baptize and purify the world, and he saves Noah, but he judges everyone else. You see this in um, the Canaanite conquest mm. in the book of Joshua and, and also in Judges, where this is a, a movement that God is, is moving through his people to provide them, through, provide them the, the land that he promised and to provide sort of a Sabbath rest, and yet it's also a judgment against the Canaanite nations. Um, fire is a symbol of judgment in, in Scripture, and so they burn the Canaanite cities with fire. But then in the exile, Jerusalem is burned with fire. It's actually a reversal of the Canaanite conquest. We'll get into that in a future episode. Um, you see this um, story of Esther. It's probably the most clear in the story of Esther because of the irony in that story, right? Um, uh, what's what's the Haman, right? Mm-hmm. The guy who builds the uh, the uh, gallows to yep. ha- on which he wants to hang Mordecai. That's correct. And then God, through his sovereignty, even though his name isn't mentioned in the book, this is so genius, God in his, in his glory and his, his salvation for his people not only saves his people by Esther risking her life to approach the king on behalf of her people, but then he uses those same gallows to hang Haman on. Mm-hmm. And so you see that salvation judgment uh, thing as well. And then also... Um, you see this ultimately in the cross, mm. obviously. Mm. But this time, it is the seed of the woman who bears the judgment in order to provide salvation. And then finally, at the end, you see this in the final judgment, that God's final judgment is salva- ultimate salvation, consum- consummation and salvation for his people, but judgment against his enemies. That's, um, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, that, that theme written down in Genesis right. predates, you know, Jesus walking the earth by yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And yet it's dude written all throughout scripture. Just wait until next episode. Dan, I want to do it. You can't do it. Tom. Okay. I want to exegete that verse I'm right now. I'm too tired for you to do it right now. <laughs> next time. The way that verse points to Jesus within that text itself is I want to do it so bad. I can't. <laughs> it's just so good. It's just so good. Um, we'll get. We'll do. We'll, we'll do that next episode. Thank you, Dan, for your help. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. I think we should move on. We don't have to drink from the hot fire hose today. Okay. Yeah. It's fun sometimes. It is fun sometimes. Yeah. So anyway, those are the patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Try to look for those patterns in your own reading. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next part is something that I know John and I have had discussions a lot about, mm-hmm. and was very mind-blowing so hopefully the same thing happens with you today when we start going through it but uh john can you tell us a little bit about like themes or threads that we yeah. should look out so for when we're reading this is this is where we do <clears throat> what i call a framework for biblical theology so there are scripture just like any other story has threads or themes or motifs that it develops throughout the story that help sort of unpack the plot and unpack the meaning of the story and what sort of the author is trying to say. And so in the same way, scripture has the same thing. And these things, you can call them themes, you can call them motifs. We'll actually use the term thread. I like the term thread here because what we're going to kind of do is if you can imagine, um, I'll, I'll name, let me name them first. So there are threads of seed or offspring, th- the thread of land, the thread of water, the thread of fire, thread of temple, the thread of image of God, circumcision, 
prophet, priest, and king, the thread of new creation, the thread of Sabbath, uh, of kingdom, and the thread of covenant. So the, there are many other uh, uh, threads that we can list, but those are going to be the ones that we'll focus on. Mm-hmm. So to reiterate, seed and, seed and offspring, land, water, fire, temple, image of God, circumcision, prophet, priest, and king, new creation, Sabbath, kingdom, and covenant. Mm. And so um, I want to call these things threads because <clears throat> if you can imagine a thread, you know, you, you can sort of pull on it and you can start in one place and then in, end in a completely different place. But if you follow that thread along, it'll naturally lead you to the end point. Mm-hmm. So, um, and these threads intertwine and the over the kind of overlap in that sense. And so you can kind of wrap these threads together and they form the beautiful tapestry that is the word of God that points to and reveals and brings out each one of these threads in their own unique way, brings out the significance of Christ's death and resurrection. That's a beautiful image. And I think so much more powerful than maybe just using an academic word like yeah. theme, yeah, something exactly. that maybe, you know, our high school English class yeah. has uh, tainted oh, for us. Yeah. High school English. <laughs> hey, I enjoyed high school English. Well, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> but but each of these threads, like I said, they, they intertwine, they overlap, and you'll see that, but they reveal something significant and unique about Christ's death and resurrection that that go well beyond maybe what a lot of us are used to. Um, so yeah, so that's the first thing, the threads. And then there's this, uh, the other, um, framework piece that I want to talk about is this, this idea called seed to blossoming tree. What the heck do I mean by that? This is, I'm getting this analogy from a guy named Gerhardus Voss, who we've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Mm. I love him so much. Um, so scripture, it's this idea that scripture tells one organically unified story. So what we have in scripture is not a bunch of arbitrarily collected, loosely connected stories you know, where some guy over here and some guy over here and some guy over there wrote three separate stories and then some other dude just said, just threw them together haphazardly. That's not what we're talking about. Scripture is one organic, unified story, and so therefore it develops and unfolds in an organic way like stories do. Because remember, history itself is God's story that he has ordained from beginning to end. As we read in the quote from the last episode, history does not fold mechanically or accidentally, it does not happen according to chance, but according to promise. Mm-hmm. And the uh, scriptures that unfolds in the same way. And so likewise, each thread develops in the same way, uh, just like I was saying, and, and each thread expresses one aspect of the story, but they're all intertwined into one rope. And this comes forward in, in Voss's analogy of the seed to blossoming tree. Uh, so, you know, if you can imagine a seed, right, uh, imagine a seed for like a flower or like a, a blossoming tree. Every tree starts off as just a little seed, mm-hmm. but then it unfolds organically, literally, into this blossoming tree over time. Um, so how, here's how I'll put it. You know, what God's temple looks like, the temple of God, how that looks in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, looks incredibly different than what God's temple looks like in Revelation, mm-hmm. like, we read, like what we read in Revelation 21. So you might think, and some do think this way, you know, if you look at the two, God's temple in Genesis 1 and 2, and if you're like, where's, where's God's temple in Genesis 1 and 2? Oh, it's there, buddy. <laughs> it is there. Um, so if you're like, where's God's temple in Genesis 1 and 2? You know, you might look at that and then, and then compare that to Gen- Revelation 21 and be like, they're 
two totally, completely different things. They're not related to each other at all. There's no relationship between the two. But um, if that's the case, then the Bible doesn't find its center on Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually, but it actually does. And so, because if you look at a seed, there's nothing. If you if you look at the seed, how it starts, and then the blossoming tree, how it ends, they look like two totally different things. Mm-hmm. But all that is with that, all that is the tree is within the seed, mm-hmm. right? And only a fool would deny that the tree came from the seed. And so, in the same way, that that is how these threads will develop. Mm-hmm. Um, although the tree looks nothing like the seed from which it comes, everything that is the tree comes from that seed and is within the seed at the beginning. And so in the same way, the temple in, in Genesis and Eden is the seed and the new Jerusalem in Revelation is the tree. That's mm-hmm. an awesome analogy again. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, um, we won't get to temple for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're dying to know, either listen to the song and the unfolding or read it in the book. Or look up G.K. Beale, or send me an email. <laughs> <laughs> All great options. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. All great options. The last <clears throat> is that the last one. Let me see. Yeah, yeah. So the last little sort of framework pattern thing is this idea of a widening, widening spiral. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna put <clears throat> on our Instagram and I think on our Facebook, I want to put uh, like a drawing of this, um, so that you can see it because it's not as helpful to talk about it on a podcast where you don't have a visual medium, but it, I, I, it needs to be talked about now. So another way, to, another framework thing to understand the, the unfolding of scripture is as a widening spiral. So if you imagine like a little spiral, like a little loop-de-loop mm. starts off really small, really small, and then gets gradually gets wider and wider and wider. And the story of scripture unfolds a lot like that. It's another way to understand how these th- threads develop. And so, um, we have these principles for understanding the, these developing threads, right? So God is the same throughout the narrative. Of all the characters that change, yes, God develops in the sense that we gain new information about him, but he himself does not change. From beginning to end, he is God, he is the same. And yet everyone has fallen into the same sin, and so sin is the same throughout. And so therefore, we're all in need of the same redemption. Everyone is in need of the same redemption and in need of the same mediation between us and God. And so what we need to pay attention to is the function and the context of every act of, of redemption. So for example, um, Christ is a, is the final, Jesus, our Messiah is the final priest. How the role of priests in the beginning is small as it were, but we gain it develops and we gain sort of more information and you see that spiral widening and then it finds its climax in the priesthood, our great high priest in the words of Hebrews, Jesus. Mm. Um, he's, he's also the final sacrifice, you know, same sort of thing. So uh, we see this in the pattern of resurrection, right? So imagine like a smaller spiral, right? There's this re- Noah's resurrection. What? Noah's resurrection? If you pay attention to to the language of the Genesis flood. Water is a symbol of death, right? Noah goes into the ark, he sort of enters death and then comes out alive. There's this resurrection pattern. It's not, it's not a literal resurrection. It's not what we're saying. But there's sort of this resurrection pattern in Noah's flood. It develops more. You see this in the sacrifice of Isaac. He does not have a literal resurrection, but again, that's what the language is trying to imply. Then you see in the Passover, uh, the resurrection themes in Passover. So we see it develop, develop, develop. 
and then ultimately in Christ's resurrection. And then we see it continue to develop in our own conversion. Mm. And then it mm. reaches its final, ultimate, huge, large, winding spiral endpoint in the consummation when we have a literal, physical resurrection, all of us, one together. I mean, that's why this is why G- Paul describes Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Dan, stop me. I want to talk about the first fruits. John? We have to keep moving okay, forward. Okay, you're right. Well, no. and you know what? I mean, I think just to just to reiterate here, these are these are just some excellent tools to take into your own study of scripture. You know, always we're always advocating, you know, that you dive into scripture and and take these tools that we're trying to teach and apply them. You know, taking an idea of mm-hmm. of being able to look at scripture and seeing where it is a widening spiral, looking at where the seed is blossoming into a tree. Right. These are just tools to add to your toolkit yeah, as you approach exactly. the scriptures. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. That was great. <laughs> so much so much better said than me just saying, John, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so well, here's the point, right? So you can see how actually the end of the story in the Bible is right there in the beginning, mm, and mm. then it develops. You know, the narrative of Scripture begins with a certain thread, develops it throughout the whole story, and then shows its final full realization at the end. But, and although the meaning of that sort of develops and grows, it's been there since the beginning. Yep. We're not, you know, anytime you find yourself in Scripture, you're not in some random point. You know what I mean? Like, there are wherever you are, whatever narrative or, or, or piece of text that you're looking at, there are things in that text that began way back, developed through and to get to where you are, and then continue to develop ongoing. Right. Even mm-hmm. Leviticus, guys. Yeah, exactly. Even Leviticus. Yeah. <laughs> right. My my Bible teacher in college, it was Gary Schnicker, and he has a wonderful book called The Torah Story, which is such a wonderful title because Leviticus is a part of the story. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, you know what? When we uh, come back from our break, we're going to be taking a practical dive into looking at mm-hmm. kind of the the meta narrative oh, here man. in the Bible. We're going to, you know, apply these themes, um, albeit somewhat briefly, but we're going to apply these themes and uh, and give you guys a little bit of a practice run at this. Yeah. And right now you're looking at your watch going, break already? What? I know. It's weird. I know. It does feel a little it's weird. It's because we're going to break down all Leviticus after the break. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's no, another episode. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. just kidding, guys. <laughs> when I get tired, I joke a lot. You should get tired more often then. Yeah. We'll work on that. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see you guys after the break. Yours in Christ is a podcast where John, Dan, Pete, and Michael talk about everything John has learned in seminary. From theology, themes in the Bible, apologetics, preaching, counseling, and more. They want what they've learned to transform your life. You can tune in to new episodes every other week and make sure you leave a review as well. We appreciate you listening. Now back to the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Yours in Christ, where... Our good friend John gives away his seminary degree away for free. Sort of. Sort of. I feel like we should change the tagline to that, too, where I give my seminary degree away for free, dot, dot, dot. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> well, you know, because it takes thousands of hours of reading to get to that, you know, to that point. Who do you think I am? Studious? <laughs> uh, Never for a moment, John. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be something, that's yeah. for sure. So John now is going to give us a summary of all of Scripture. Yes, it's going to take hours and hours of time. 
So prepare yourself. And you are you do have the jokes today, don't you? Yeah. It's because it's late. It's the only way to uh, stay focused. But no, for real, John is going to take a lot of the stuff that we just talked about, the mm-hmm. different themes, threads that he likes to call them. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take I'm going to take the patterns and the threads that I, we mentioned and use all of them and do a, use it to do give you a, a quick summary of all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm summarizing the entire Bible. This is going to make some of y'all's heads spin, especially if you're not used to thinking about scripture this way so please buckle in buckle and keep your in. hands and feet inside <laughs> the ride at all yeah. times yeah so um my goal here is that heart goal that we mentioned at the beginning that you're you're going to sort of get an all at once view of the fullness and richness of christ's redemption all at once and you're going to be overwhelmed by it my goal is not for you to be overwhelmed by all the details of the story my goal is for you to all of a sudden sort of see the fullness, at least a, a little bit, of the fullness of his redemption in ways that maybe you haven't seen before, mm-hmm. and to be like, oh my gosh, the Lord is the Savior, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my hope. So here we go. Here we go. Buckle in. Buckled. Take all us right. away, John. Take us away. In the beginning, the self-contained triune God creates the invisible heavenly places as his spiritual temple, filling it with his glory and the glory of the angels. He then creates the visible heavens and the earth as a copy or shadow of the heavenly places, forming it to reflect his spiritual temple and filling it with his creatures, even winged birds who constantly sing just like the angels in heaven. Then he plants a garden in Eden to be an earthly temple and sets Adam and Eve in it to guard it and to work it. Adam, God's chosen seed, is to serve as God's original prophet, priest, and king in his original earthly temple, and to spread the kingdom of the garden throughout the earth by having offspring so that God's glory would fill the earth as his image, seen in Adam and Eve as humankind, and to fill the earth with this image uh, and with his glory. If, he obey, if Adam obeys God's command about the tree, Adam would gain eternal life and enter into full Sabbath rest with the Lord and full consummate fellowship with him. But as we know, Adam sinned and his offspring fell with him. As a result, Adam and Eve are exiled from the land and this land is guarded by cherubim with a flaming sword. Instead of heaven and earth coming together in consummated union through Adam's obedience, they are torn asunder because of his sin. Now, in order to gain access to the tree of life and to God's presence, someone must endure the flaming sword and offer perfect obedience in Adam's stead. As the world descends deeper into sin, God graciously chooses Noah to be a new offspring who might provide Sabbath rest. Noah obediently builds the ark, a new temple, to save his family and the animals from God's wrath as God baptizes the earth in water judgment. He then forms a covenant with Noah and the earth, and Noah offers sacrifices to the Lord. But this new period doesn't last long 
as Noah soon falls into sin as well. He then graciously chooses Abraham from the line of Noah and from the line of Adam's son Seth to be his new representative. He makes a covenant with Abraham, promising to make him into a great nation and to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. He ratifies this covenant with a symbol of new creation, a symbol of death and resurrection, circumcision. At various times in his life, Abraham acts like a prophet, he acts like a priest, and sometimes he acts like a king as he proclaims God's word, intercedes for Lot, builds altars, many temples, throughout the promised land, as he rescues Lot from foreign kings, and as he nearly sacrifices his son. When he nearly sacrifices his son, he brings with him a knife and fire, setting the pattern for Old Testament sacrifices from then on out. But the Lord intercedes and provides a ram, symbolically bringing his son back from death. Adam's promised offspring eventually becomes the nation of Israel, and the Lord redeems them from slavery against the serpent, Pharaoh, by baptizing them through the waters of the Red Sea, the same waters that would consume Egypt and Pharaoh in judgment. After this, he makes a covenant with them through Moses. The Lord has has them build the new temple, that is, the tabernacle, with cherubim guarding the Holy of Holies like an Eden. And he provides prophets and priests in the wilderness. If they will obey the Lord, they will enter the promised land and gain the Lord's eternal Sabbath rest. But they rebelled in the wilderness, so the Lord judged judged them. Then the Lord leads a new generation through the baptismal waters of the Jordan. And this generation judges the Canaanites occupying the promised land by burning their cities with fire. Eventually, God establishes his chosen seed, his son David, on the throne in Jerusalem as king over the kingdom and has them build a temple. He makes a covenant with David and his offspring. His kingdom will last forever and his kingdom will envelope the entire earth. Through his obedience, his offspring can lead God's people into Sabbath rest. But, as we know, just like Adam, God's Davidic son, fails and leads the nation into exile. Jerusalem is burned with judgment fire as they lose the temple, lose the kingdom, lose the priesthood, and lose the promised land, and it's occupied by the offspring of the serpent. Eventually, the nation is allowed to rebuild their temple and reestablish their priesthood and ordinances, but they're still occupied by foreigners, and more importantly, they're still slaves to sin. Until finally... Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, son of God, comes. He is the true and ultimate seed of the woman. He is the temple of God in the flesh. He is the original image of God, filled with the original circumcision of the Holy Spirit. He's come to serve as God's ultimate and final prophet, priest, and king, and to establish God's final kingdom on earth through the new covenant. He will atone for sin and gain eternal life through righteousness, which is God's eternal Sabbath rest. So, throughout his life, he faithfully proclaims God's word. He faithfully endures wilderness temptation. He faithfully exercises authority over the visible heavens and the earth and the invisible heavenly places by calming waters and healing and casting out demons and cleansing God's temple as a priest. But none of this atones for sin 
or finally ultimately conquers the seed of the serpent. So how does he do that? As our great high priest, he offers to God a perfect sacrifice, himself. He becomes the price for our debt and the payer of our debt because of sin. But the act of his death is at the same time the act of his victory, stomping on the serpent's head even though he himself is struck. He entered the true heavenly temple, went behind the veil, under the flaming sword of the cherubim, and endured God's wrath against sin. Then, three days later, Jesus is justified through his resurrection, being the first fruits of the resurrection to come. Through his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ reconciles heaven and earth. Through his work, God's kingdom, his heavenly temple, his spiritual circumcision, and final Sabbath are inaugurated on earth as his spirit descends into his people to be the down payment of the eternal new life they will gain. And then finally at the end, what was inaugurated will become consummated. What began finds its ending. What is invisibly present will become visibly manifest. God's offspring will be fully transformed into the perfect image of Christ and we will dwell in his heavenly promised land, his heavenly kingdom, as the heavenly temple, the new Jerusalem, descends to the earth, and we will serve him in it with joy forever. Meanwhile, God's enemies, the offspring of the serpent, will not be cast out of God's presence, but will actually face God's presence in judgment, and they are cast in e- into eternal fire. In that act, the serpent and the beast are defeated, never to rise again. Yet, Christ's bride will freely eat from the tree of life for eternity because of the eternal life Jesus earned for us as we fully bask in God's eternal Sabbath rest forever. Wow. Thank you, John. That's quite the, the Cliff Notes version of, of the yeah. Bible. And, and honestly, you know, I wish somebody had uh, sat me down and given me that version mm-hmm. when I first started reading the scriptures. Um, Same. It takes, Same. it takes a long time yeah. to really, you know, come to a place where you're acquainted enough with the scriptures that you can, you can see that trend flowing from beginning to end. Right. Yeah, and you'll see those themes, right? So we mentioned the themes earlier. The threads, seed, offspring, land, water, fire, temple, image of God, circumcision, prophet, priest, king, new creation, Sabbath, kingdom, and covenant. You'll see all those threads in, in that summary that we just gave. And for the rest of our biblical theology series, uh, every episode in our biblical theology series will unpack uh, all of that in greater depth and detail. And so for the next several episodes, we'll, we'll, we'll actually um, take seed, and then the next third we'll do is, is land. Mm. And we're going to get into way more detail with both of those threads. That's going to be amazing because, I mean, we see seed starting off in Genesis mm-hmm. 3. Yep. And you know, you've got the rest of the of the Bible, yeah. you know, to to unpack that and to watch that spiral unwind exactly. wider and wider exactly. and wider. Yep, it's going I'm so excited. Yeah. Um yeah. And so um so as we unpack these, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to uh we're not going to just do broad like we just did. So what what we'll end up doing is we'll we'll uh sometimes we'll reference texts that do one of the threads and then other times we'll dive deep into one or we'll dive deep into a particular text. So probably next episode we'll dive deep into Genesis three fifteen. 
we'll do probably Genesis 12 um, and several other ones that really bring out the, the seed thing. And then we'll mention a few handful of others as we go along. And um, uh, what we'll probably end up doing is uh, like unpacking a chunk of the Bible with this thread. Then the next episode, unpacking another chunk. And then probably like the third one, that's when we really get to Christ and his people and the church and stuff like that. So, yeah. And I think that's that's awesome because that shows you how much work goes into this the seed turning into a blossoming tree. Yeah, you right. Know, there, there's so much there. A question from a practical side, as, as somebody who's actively involved in small group mm-hmm. ministry um, and, and wants people to approach their Bible and feel comfortable doing so, what advice would you give to somebody who listens to this podcast and wants to approach scripture, wants to start looking for these threads, yeah. but isn't quite sure where to start? Yeah, great question. Are you talking about like with a resources that can kind of help them unpack this stuff? Yeah, either resources, any anything that comes to mind in yeah. terms of how to begin that process. Well, I think uh, the follow-up resources that we mentioned at the end of last episode and the ones that we'll, me- we'll mention a couple new ones this episode can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, you're getting this in the preaching in your church. Mm. Uh, it's unfortunately, you know, not, not everyone has been taught to see scripture this way, but like the other thing too, is I want to mention this, you know, this is not some sort of secret hidden way to read the Bible. Like this is the, the magical key that makes everything clear. Um, this is, but you know, although I believe that this method that we're going to unpack is, is organic to scripture itself, it's, it's it's not this magical thing, you know, mm-hmm. there are still texts that can be really challenging. And, um, but I hope that it can be at least, like I said, that framework, that skeleton type of thing as you go. And I think, you know, I think a helpful thing for you, if you're listening is when you, the next time you open up your Bible for whatever text that you're in, try to go back, write down the, the seeds that we, the, or excuse me, the threads that we mentioned and see where you can identify mm-hmm. them. So even in, the reason why we read Revelation 21, 1 to 4, to begin, is because there are several of those threads in that, those verses we read. Right, you got temple in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can have seed in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't remember, but several other ones. Um, Sabbath rest is in mm-hmm. there. And, and so uh, right there you have four verses where you can probably identify three or four, or maybe even five of the threads we mentioned. And, and so, bam, right there. And, and you can see how, obviously, this text is there to show, here's the end point. Mm-hmm. Here's where all the threads find their final, uh, fullest expression. And so now, uh, I think what might be helpful, especially to start off, is to think through, okay, I, I identify this thread. That re- what does that remind you of, based upon your other knowledge of Scripture? Where else do you... Do you th- can you think of to find this thread? Now that can lead to some free association mm. or maybe you'll find relationships that aren't really there, right. but at least as a starting point to get you used to thinking this way, I think that's helpful. Okay. So um, uh, when you read Isaiah 54, the single barren woman passage, there's seed and land there very clearly. Um, okay. So read that text. Does that remind you of anything else you've read in Isaiah or anything else you've read in the other prophets or anything else you've read in um, books previous to that. Cause what, what, what you'll see and what you'll realize in your own study is this reminds me of things back here. And this also reminds me of things up here. Mm, mm-hmm. And so to, to then think through, okay, what is the context of this part here? How does it develop what came before? And then how does 
it point forward to what's going to come after and later. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think mm-hmm. that's a, that's an awesome recommendation, a very approachable way to, um, just begin that process of looking at scripture through the lens of, you know, this evolving theme or this, yeah. uh, this growing spiral. And again, it's, it's going to find its, its resolution in the person and work of Christ. 100%. It's so that's the, that's the other thing I want to mention. This is not just an abstract, um, way of looking at the Bible completely divorced from Jesus and his work and who he is. This is organic to it, and it points forward to it deliberately. And this is, um, you know, Jesus is, the Spirit of Christ is the ultimate author of Scripture. And so uh, we need to absolutely, absolutely keep that at the front, forefront of our minds. Like, mm. Just like the quote we read um, at the end of last episode, that just as all things were created for him, so Scripture is, and, and God's redemption, redemption story is ultimately for him and tells a story of his son. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So I guess, I guess, you know, let's say whatever text you're reading, not only think through how does it remind, what does it remind me of before and then after, but what is, where do I see Jesus in this? Uh, yeah, we'll, and, and we'll, we'll unpack sort of how to do that as we go forward, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be giving you guys more tools as mm-hmm. we move along, you know, and, and practice, practical, you know, times where we go through it, um, just to give you guys an insight into uh, how the, the Master John's mind <laughs> oh, works. Um, no, I'm just getting this, I'm getting this from people who, uh, people are way smarter and better than me, you know, this is, you know, guys like Voss and another guy's Clowney, who we mentioned before, Dennis Johnson's great, Tim Keller does this and a lot of his sermons and stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, I can mention all sorts of names, Sinclair Ferguson and, and you know, yeah, I'm I'm just a student mm-hmm. who has been taught this and wants to share this with people. I This is absolutely nothing of what I'm saying is original. So, um, and if you're listening to somebody who is original, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, so kind of what we did today was we continued on the uh, topic of hermeneutics. Uh, we introduced patterns in the story of the Bible. And then we talked a lot about the different threads, which John's mentioned a few times. I mm-hmm. won't try and name them all here. Um, and more importantly, how they develop over the unfolding story of the Bible and continue to reveal Christ and yep. who he is to us. Yep. Um, so right. I guess we're going to wrap up here. Yeah, next episode. Cool. Next episode, we'll, do, we'll start with seed slash offspring. Uh, and yeah, it's, we'll, we'll go into greater depth and detail about the battle between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. And we'll highlight certain scriptures, spend you know, spend more time in, in some than in others. But but yeah, that might be that might be three or four episodes, and and then we'll do land after that. So and it's going to be super exciting for John, who I know is just itching know. to get to I, Genesis I've been, three. He just wants <laughs> to yeah. get in there. The way yeah. you just like glossed over. Oh, that might be three to four episodes. Like I'm sure there was somebody sitting there who was like, wait, three to four episodes on one thread. Yeah. These guys are nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well. And it's only a foretaste, guys. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the other thing. <laughs> like, so I there's this book by Stephen Dempster, who's an Old Testament scholar. Um, he wrote an entire book on seed and land in the whole Old Testament, and it's, it's like 250 pages. Um, I, do I have that in my recommended? It's a great book. It's slightly academic, but like, I could easily... I mean, if I could just sit here and read the whole book for you in an interesting way, I would just do that. <laughs> he, does a, he does it in way greater depth than I do, and, and obviously he's much better at it since you know he's a pro and I'm just a guy. Well, <laughs> I'm a guy with can, a microphone. You a can friend. include it in the, uh, the wrap-up yeah. maybe when we are on those threads. Mm, yep. It's a good source.
All right. So yeah, let's wrap it up. Um, so send us your questions, critiques, and concerns to yours in Christ podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, please leave us a review on iTunes or um, SoundCloud or wherever else you have you access our podcast. Uh, please, please, please do, do leave, leave us a review. Just take a minute to do that. Let's do follow-up resources. So uh, I'll put out <clears throat> The Unfolding by Tim Brindle again. Uh, I can't recommend that book enough just because it's, it's very accessible, and yet he still takes a, uh, the time to get into the Greek and Hebrew a little bit, but in a way that I think is, is really readable. Um, yeah, and the, the music album, the, the rap album, you know, he, he, he's indie hip-hop, so it's uh, uh, some people might not be used to that sort of style, but um, I found it really helpful. Um, another book that I would recommend is God-Centered Biblical Interpretation by Vern Poitras. So good. And then if you aren't much of a reader, there's just YouTube, um, True and Better by Tim Keller. Mm. He basically did what I just did um, earlier. And yeah, it's just, it'll really help. It'll really kind of blow you away. So good. Sounds yeah. awesome. Any Sounds thoughts like from a, you guys? A great, great resource. And, and as always, um, you know, I want to remind all of our listeners of our, our head goal that we began with, which was to mm. understand basic patterns in the story of the Bible. And ultimately, our, our prayer um, for ourselves and for our listeners is that that head knowledge would become heart knowledge yes, um, yes. through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, and that heart goal for today was to be overwhelmed by the fullness and the richness of the salvation Christ has accomplished. Yeah, I hope you're sitting back from that review, that summary of the whole story, being like, dang, the Lord Jesus has accomplished way much more than you know I, I think about. Mm. Amen. So let's end with the quote of the day. This quote comes from a guy named Raymond Dillard, uh, who taught at Westminster. Uh, this is from a lecture he gave in 1987. I actually narked this quote from the Tim Brindle album that I mentioned. So he says this. <clears throat> in this tradition, we have usually related ourselves to the Old Testament by seeing there the same God working the same plan of redemption for his people. As Christians, we ought to be able to read the Old Testament as a Christian book. The Old Testament ought to mean something to us that it wouldn't mean in a synagogue. Mm. We ought to be able to read that three-fourths of the Bible with the veil removed. Thank you for listening to Yours in Christ podcast, and uh, please keep us tuned in. We'll see you on the flip side, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.